Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. What did you expect from church this morning? Really, what you, would you expect? To hear, to hear God, yep. Receive revelation, come on, I like that. Coffee, I hear you. I hear you, I see that need and we meet that need, good. So breakthrough, someone say breakthrough, come on. I like that, wow. I also like coffee, did I say that again? Yes, uh, what else? Community healing, oh, this is good. Because what you expect sometimes dictates your approach expectations matter. In fact, I heard every argument you will ever have with anyone is just a missed expectation. Isn't it interesting to see whether or not your anger is justified, just see what what you expected. It probably was just different than what someone else did. So what you expect walking into church matters because if you merely expected to walk in, take a few notes and merely agree with a communicator, that might just be all you get. Suckers. So, um, but what if? What if you expected something more? And from scripture, we learned that having a different depth of expectation will change things. How do I know that? Well, Jeremiah 29, 12. Uh, Yeah, 11's good. 11's good. 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper. I like that word. You and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a, okay, church. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Of course we like that one. How about the next verse? (laughs) It says this, then you will call upon me, God says, and you're gonna come and you're gonna pray to me. But then he gives assurance and he says, I'll listen to you. Do you know how profound that is that our God cares about what you say to him? That he's listening. And he's perfect, so I can't even imagine what a perfect listener, like I I have friends that listen like, okay, (laughs) you know? No, God listens The next verse is actually where that last worship song came from, says this, then you will seek me. And he even adds a little promise, and find me if you seek me with all your heart. Did you know that God can be found by you? Oh, he says that in verse 14. Not only does it say in 13, he reiterates it and says, I will be found by you if you're looking for me. If you're looking for good feelings, you might be disappointed. If you're searching for God this morning, you will not be disappointed. So let's shift our expectation now. And if we didn't come in with that type of expectation, let's go to the Lord and invite him to do that work in us. Will you pray with me, my friends? Don't just listen to me pray. I think you'll miss what he has. Because remember this, as you communicate to him, he hears you. Oh, and he cares. So let's bring our worry, our fears insecurities, maybe even our successes, because he's our a heavenly father and he, he loves both. He wants to hear from you. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, here we are. And I'm so grateful that you hear us. And I'm so grateful that maybe when we don't have words to say that your spirit discerns us and speaks on our behalf. So God, maybe we don't have words, but we can bring ourselves fully. So if we have words, Lord, may we give them to you, talk to you, trusting that you hear us. And if you need to shift our expectation this morning, would you? God, you're enough. Hear our prayers. Oh, you're what we need. More of you, less of us. Free us from being merely aware of ourselves. We pray. And all God's children said, amen. Are you ready? Perfect, because it doesn't matter. I am. John chapter six is where we're going. John chapter six, where we get to see Jesus perform a miracle but then ultimately reveal something about himself. And the reason I wanna share this with you is because God shared it intimately with me. And here's the prayer that I had prayed for years. And I feel like he answered it through this passage. Here was the prayer for me. I said at the last end of the prayer, Lord, would you free me from being merely aware of myself? He's answered that prayer through this passage. And it begins like this. Sometime after this, after what? Oh, we'll find out. Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they had seen the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Notice this. John refers to miracles as signs. And that's different because because although this miracle is the only miracle outside of the resurrection that is actually listed in each of the four gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only miracle outside of Jesus raising from the dead, the only one that everyone said this has to be included. So it's significant. But the cool thing about it being in all those different gospel narratives is we get a more full picture. For instance, why is the crowd there? For instance, why did they cross over the sea? For instance, what is it sometime after? And the book of Mark gives us a little bit of guidance about about why this circumstance is happening. And here's what it says. See, Jesus had sent all of his disciples on many missions trips, kind of like he does with you every single week. How was this week, by the way? Did you forget? Did you forget? Or do you have stories or no? Okay. So he sends them out. And then they come back to talk about the amazing fruit of being just on mission for Jesus but they also had to deliver some terrible news. Jesus's cousin, John, had been murdered. And so these disciples had to share it with Jesus. And Mark puts it this way. It says, when Jesus heard this news, he needed to get away to a quiet place and rest. Does anyone need to get away to a quiet place and rest? Does anyone have small children? Do you know what I love? Is that Jesus is perfect, right? We all agree. And did you know that rest is a part of his normal? So a part of the perfect life life is rest. Are you getting some? Rest. Are you 
Do you need rest? In fact, rest was actually a part of God's perfect, perfect creation. Before the fall ever came, rest was a part of it. I highly encourage rest. Jesus models the perfect life. And so he wants to get away and rest. But as we just read in John, the crowds kept following him. They had seen the miraculous signs he had done. So of course they showed up. But Mark gives us perspective on Jesus's attitude toward the crowds. And here's what it was. In the midst of him needing to get away, in the midst of having this need, it says that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Is that shocking? Is that shocking to you? In the midst of having needs, guess what Jesus did? He saw theirs. How do you do with that? Jesus' response to an interruption is that he never saw people as an interruption. How about you? Have you been there? Let me ask you this. Are you interruptible? I think it's oddly enough one of my favorite qualities of Jesus. In fact, I think it's the reason in Jeremiah 29, uh, 12, that he hears us because he's up to so much, yet he's interruptible any minute you come to him. How about you? Because I'll promise you this, you will miss what God is up to this week if you're merely aware of what you're up to. I learned this the hard way. I was uh, getting on an airplane flying from Long Beach to a conference in Texas. And I remember I was finishing up my notes to go speak at this pastor's conference. So the audience was gonna be all these pastors. And I remember I just had to quickly finish up my notes because I was almost finished, except I wasn't finished. So we were, you know, I got my earbuds out to let everyone know on the plane how social I was planning on being. And I uh, remember sticking those in and... pulled out my apparently giant laptop and uh, started typing. And here's the literal question I was writing. Remember, for all the pastors. I'm like, okay, here we go. All right. Have you missed out on ministering to people in the midst of doing ministry? And I'm like, that is so good. That is so good. I'm right. It's kind of like how I could ask you, like, in the midst of, like, living for Jesus, this week did you live for him? In the midst of like serving Jesus with your whole life, how was this morning? <laughs> you know what I mean? I know, so good. I know, so good. So I'm just, you know, typing it. And the guy next to me goes, oh my goodness, are you a Christian? And in my head, if I'm honest, I thought, oh my goodness, you don't understand social cues. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's okay. Um, and so I held it right here to give him another one, you know, like I'm ready to put it back. Um, what was that? And the guy goes, are you a Christian? And this is what I said in response. Sure am. Praise the Lord. He's so good. Okay. (laughs) Have you missed out on ministering to people in the midst of doing ministry? This is so good. This is so good. He keeps going. Of course he does. My daughter goes to church. I'm like, I bet, you know? And so... This is actually a moment of confession. This is not a proud story because it took me, uh, no exaggeration, probably 15 minutes to read my own screen. You want to know why I almost missed it? Because I was on my way to go doing some ministry. You know, ministry happens on Sunday mornings. 
Can I tell you when ministry happens? Along the way. Can I tell you what Jesus models? That people are never an interruption. People are the plan. I shared this with a woman. She said, I've shifted my whole to-do list. She does this like top five power to-do list every day. And she goes, I'm actually giving away my number one spot and putting the word interruptible. Imagine if you never considered people an interruption. See, Jesus models for us the perfect life. And he does it in needing rest. That's okay but also being willing to be interrupted when it's for the sake of people. Do you need to take out your earbuds? Metaphorically. My friends, I gotta be honest with you, I did. And I do. Because I oftentimes miss the mission trip he's sending me out to in this city because I'm consumed with my plans. You know that verse we all love says, I have plans, God says. You know what he doesn't say in there? And I'm planning on showing them to you. (laughs) How frustrating this passage goes on. Okay. You see, the great crowd was there because they saw the miraculous signs. Then Jesus went up onto a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. You see, the Jewish Passover feast was near. Verse five, then Jesus looked up and saw. Another word, visual picture. Every time Jesus is about to do something radical, it almost always says he saw. He just saw other people. And again, it brings up conviction immediately in me. I feel like the reason I get to share this with you is to be honest with you, be really raw and vulnerable with you. Not to say, let me just tell you everything I know about this passage. No, no, no. Let me share you what this brought up in me is the fact that I don't see the needs of others. That I oftentimes don't. And to be honest with you, let me get as practical as when I walk into a room. When I walk into a room, have you been there where you ask yourself these types of questions? Okay, so who do I know? (laughs) Or maybe you texted someone before you got there. Who do I know? Where can I be comfortable? Who sees me? Who notices me? Who cares about me? Ladies, do you relate? Do you ever walk in with yourself as the main character of that moment? Yeah, yeah. It's exhausting, isn't it? And does it ever allow you to walk in with an agenda of love? Of course not, because you're merely waiting to be loved. Here's how this passage has practically changed how I walk into rooms. Personally, I have to, because I know my sinful nature is to care for me. My sinful nature is not to trust that God provides everything I need. It's to say, I have to take care of everything I need. No wonder we're so anxious. No wonder. And so now, rather than walking in and knowing by my sinful nature that I'll merely be consumed with me, I do this. I actually put my back to the wall. Something about touching the wall just reminds me. And I ask this question, God, who needs to be seen? And then I scan the room. My friends, it allows me to follow Jesus's lead and see other people and surrender needing to be seen. My friends, it makes every room purposeful versus a room that I feel like I have to walk in and find purpose in. Do you know the difference? Have you experienced it? Because my friends, I want you to experience that type of freedom from being merely aware of yourself. And Jesus models it for us. So let's see what happens with the crowd So when Jesus looked up and saw the crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, here's where it gets interesting. He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was planning to do. What? 
We'll get there. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite, let alone be satisfied. Verse eight, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. "Uh, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that little bit go among so many? By the way, I love Andrew. He has three honorable mentions in the book of John. Only three. You wanna know what they are? Uh, Chapter one, he brings his friend Peter to meet Jesus. That worked out pretty well. Uh, Chapter six, he's the one that delivers the boy. Chapter 12, he gathered and made a way for the Gentiles to meet Jesus. By the way, Gentile, anyone non-Jewish, that's us. Every single time he's mentioned, he's just bringing people to Jesus. How cool is that? I was so struck by that. This week, I went to a neighbor and I just invited her to church for the very first time. I failed miserably, so that story just ended. But um, let's see what happened. Jesus says, verse 10, (laughs) that's true, that really did happen two days ago. Um, You see, because I don't feel the burden to have to change people. I just do what I can. I just be obedient when God asks. Who knows what the Lord will do in her life? I'm still praying. Jesus said, have the people sit down. So they do. See, there was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down and then it describes the amount of men there were, 5,000 of them. This is normally called and referred to as the feeding of the 5,000, although the men were the only ones that were counted in that number, which means based on women and children, we're actually looking at a crowd more to 10 to 12,000 people are now seated. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, the not enough (laughs) loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Miracle. He did the same with the fish. Wow. Verse 12. When they had all had, what's the next word? We'll try that again because you just, some of you didn't, it's okay. Verse 12, when they had all had to eat. Don't miss that word. When they all had enough, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. One way that I read scripture is if not only is God the main character of a room, not only is God the main character of my plans, not only is God the main character of my agenda, he's also the main character of scripture, then when I find out truth about who God is, I realize I'm never gonna be disappointed and that's never gonna change, although people around me might and I might. God doesn't. It says that Jesus said, let nothing be wasted. See, because our God doesn't waste anything. (laughs) We do. See, who God was is who God is and who God will forever be, which means this, God will not waste your past if you'll let him use it. Will you? He won't waste your present struggle if you let him address it. Will you this morning? He will not waste your future that some of you don't believe you have one He won't waste it. We might, but our God doesn't waste anything. That's why it matters for us to trust him. And the scripture continues, so they gathered 
the leftover and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Basic overview of the story. Jesus is mourning. He sees a crowd. He sees their needs. And then he does something about it. We oftentimes don't, but there's an interesting verse. See, Jesus wants to invite people into freedom and he does it in a very particular way. Not only does he model the perfect life, he also models how to do life with one another, specifically in verse six, turn back with me, where he says this, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward, toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Verse six, he asked this, in order to test him, for he already knew what he was planning to do. Why did he ask the question? Anyone? He already knew the grandmaster plan. Why did he ask a question? He already knew what was gonna happen. Why did he stop and ask? Well, it's so like Jesus. See, Jesus, throughout the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was asked 184 questions. He asked 307 questions. Oh, of the 184 he was asked, he only answered three directly. How frustrating. <laughs> How interesting. Have you ever counted yourself out from ministry because you thought you did not know enough? Have you ever done that? I have really good news for you. The one who knew the answer to every single question he was asked seemed a lot less interested in just giving the answers and far more interested in relationship. Take that as a perfect model. Do you want to look more like Jesus? Watch this. Walk into rooms and ask people questions. Would you do that this week? Would you just become interested in your coworkers? It is so freeing from trying to prove how interesting you are. Isn't it? It's the, it's the main character. Is it you or is it him and what he's up to through you? Or you merely will continue this lifestyle of comfort or this lifestyle of let me get my job done. He has a radical job and he's inviting you to be a part of it and he's teaching us and modeling for us precisely how to get there. Another way, in addition to being interruptible, he just asked a bunch of questions. And I love what the question in this instance, see, he didn't ask questions to find out answers he didn't already know. He's Jesus, he knew everything. In this instance, he's asking a question so that the disciple may become aware of something he didn't know. And so the first disciple goes like this. Uh, we don't have enough. <laughs> have you been there? See, maybe for you it hasn't been, I don't have enough. Maybe for you it is. But you know what, maybe, let me rephrase it a little bit, maybe to fit your language. I'm not enough. Have you said it? To be honest, it's the number one phrase I hear from people. And it's one of two things. It's either I'm not enough, or I feel the pressure to be enough. So I have to prove that I am all the time. And it's exhausting. I love that the, what, I love that the question, what it arose in the disciple is, I'm not enough. And here's the surprising response. Jesus is okay with that. In fact, it's all throughout scripture. Even Moses, Exodus chapter three, God starts to say, I'm gonna use you in this crazy way. Imagine God having your full attention, him going, okay, I have a plan. 
it involves you. You're going to be a big part of it. And then I love Moses' response. Can you imagine God himself coming to you and going, I have this radical thing and you are going to be a part of it. Maybe you'd respond like Philip. I don't, um, enough, what? Not me. And then Moses says this. He goes, who am I? And then uh, Gideon says, I, uh, that my circumstances suck. And God's like, what? I'm not addressing your circumstances. I'm telling you about a plan. It's almost as if God ignores the circumstances altogether to go, you don't think I know those? Oh, by the way, the thing I'm asking you to do is nothing you can do on your own. I wouldn't involve myself in something you could do on your own. Why would I? Do you realize the thing God's calling you to? He's setting you up to be dependent upon him. If you feel overwhelmed, anxious, and fearful, it's likely because you've put the pressure on yourself. So here's the aha moment of this passage, the, oh my goodness, awakening freedom. Are you ready? There are a lot of lies you're going to hear in your brain from the world, from culture, from everyone. The phrase, I'm not enough, is not one of the lies. The lie is that you think you have to be in order to be used by God. See, God is setting them up and he does it all throughout scripture with his brilliant questions. In fact, maybe the question, do you have enough bread to provide is not the question that got you. Maybe it's one of these other, other one of his 307 questions that he asked. I've compiled a list of 20 and rather than me asking you questions trying to bring you to revelation, I'd rather Jesus himself, I can quote our Lord wanting to bring you to a very necessary step before we get to point two. Point one, we're not enough. (laughs) And you have to start there. See, the 12-step program, if you've ever heard of it, is brilliant because it starts with step number one. It doesn't let you move on to step number two unless you get step number one. Step number one of any 12-step program is this. You are powerless over your problems. And then before you want to move on, do you believe it? So let me translate that into us. Before you, before you can move on to the radical thing God has, and we'll get there, you actually have to start at this place of saying, I can't. I can't be a perfect dad and a perfect employee and a perfect neighbor and a perfect son of yours. And a, I, I'm not. And let me tell you this, it's so freeing to arrive there. But let me, not just, let me not just tell you from experience. Let me hope you bring you into your own experience. I'm going to bring up a bunch of questions that Jesus asks. I'm curious which one's going to speak to you. So if you need to close your eyes to simply allow Jesus to ask you these directly. But as I ask them, I want to remind you of that cross. Because that cross provides a very different posture from Jesus in asking the question. See, I always thought when Jesus asked questions that his posture was like this. Why are you sinning? What are you doing? What do you want? Do you want to get well? Do you love me? Anyone ever had this perspective of our Lord? You're not crazy, but I have really good news. That cross demonstrates a very different posture. So imagine a really inviting, safe, beautiful, healthy perspective of Jesus as he asks you these. Again, close your eyes if you need to, but would you receive the questions and allow them to bring you to a necessary place? Jesus says this, can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your life? 
Why are you anxious? Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye yet fail to perceive the wooden beam in your own? Why are you terrified? Why do you harbor evil thoughts? This one's interesting. Do you believe I can do this? I can. Why did you doubt? Who do you say that I am? What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What do you want me to do for you? What are you thinking in your heart? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I command? Where's your faith? If even the smallest things are beyond your control, why are you anxious about the rest? Who's greater, the one seated at a table or the one who serves? Do you want to be well? How is it that you seek praise from one another and not seek the praise that comes from God? Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Do you realize what I've done for you? Last one. Do you love me? God is not asking you to do something you can do on your own, but something he desires to do through you. My friends, can I clarify something in the midst of point number one? Point number one, we're not enough. (sighs) But here's the clarifying piece. What I am not saying is that you're not worthy of love. See, you were worth him dying for. You're worth it. But what I am saying is, you never earned it. (laughs) Do you see the difference? In fact, let me give you the gospel using this terminology. Not enough. See, in the very beginning, God created everything and it was perfect because it was God and he created it perfect. It was enough. We did not believe it was enough and so tried and listened to another voice and in doing so, we sinned and fell short, aka not enough. Because in order to be in a perfect relationship with God, you're supposed to be perfect. You're supposed to be enough. But we all are not. So what? Well, because God knew we couldn't get there The only one who was enough, God himself, sent himself to be with us. See, Jesus, the only one who lived the perfect life, thus earning a perfect relationship with the Father. He was enough, but he took the consequence of those who weren't. And that's why he died on a cross. And then when he rose from the grave, he proved that he is God and he has the power to make those who are not enough In him, enough. Let me put it this way. See, Jesus took what we deserved on the cross and then he gifts those through faith who believe in his sacrifice, not put their faith and trust in themselves to somehow make their way to heaven, but trust that we couldn't get there on our own. That's why he came down. 
For those who confess that, he took that which we deserve and gifts us what he deserves. So left to yourself, in and of yourself, you are not enough. In Christ, because of Christ, you are. He is inviting you to no longer be found in your own abilities, but in his sacrifice and in his life and everything he has earned on your behalf. So here's point two. You're not enough and that's enough because Jesus is enough. Is that good news? See, remember, you have to catch this. The point of the miracle. See, he provides enough, but that's not the sign. That's the miracle. The sign is always pointing to something else. And in verse 35, he, he proclaims what it's pointing to. He says this, okay, we're talking about food. We're talking about provision. Let me tell you who I am. And he reveals it right here when he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am what you need. Come to me for me. Don't come to me for what I can offer you. Come to me for me. I'm the bread. I'm what you need. I'm what you've been searching for. I'm what you've tried to be for everyone else. I'm enough. See, the people that missed that part, even though they were a part of the provision, they were a part of the miracle, a majority of the crowd walks away at the end of the story because they thought it was merely about a miracle. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. It's about me. I provide for the needy, but the thing that I provide is myself. I provide for the needy, but the thing I provide is myself. Don't trust the provision. Trust me. We're not enough, but that's enough because Jesus is enough. Oh, but the story doesn't stop there. Remember the second disciple, first disciple, we don't have enough. Jesus is like, I know, (laughs) I know you can't change your family. I know, but I'm trying to make you aware of your need for me. And then let's do it together. Disciple number two says, we don't have enough, but there's this boy. He's small. (laughs) and he has a little bit. And this little boy, let's remember the boy, came with a little bit of lunch for himself. And guess what he got to be? A part of the provision for everyone else. See, the little boy didn't have enough, but he brought it to the right person. You don't have enough. Are you bringing it to the right person or is it still on your shoulders and you're so anxious? Because it's all up to you. Oh, by the way, my favorite fact about the boy was the fact that he was just a small boy. Why does that matter? Because he wasn't even counted in the 5,000. Oh, don't miss that fact. Don't miss the fact that the one the world counted out, Jesus goes, perfect, I'll show off through you. Have you counted yourself out from what God's gonna do this week in our city? He never counts you out, but you might count yourself out. Don't miss it. He invites you in. And then this little boy brings the little that he has and says, I don't have enough. And this is all throughout scripture. This woman brings the little that she has. This man brings just the little that she has, but she brings it right to Jesus and says, will you use this for your glory? He says, I see your heart. And then Jesus, verse 11, takes it, the little that you have, gives thanks for it. I bet you don't say thanks for your, for your weaknesses, do you? Gives thanks for it and then distributes it. So point three, we're not enough, (sighs) that's enough, because Jesus is enough. Point three, (laughs) we're not enough, and that's enough to be used 
by the one who is enough. See, the little boy gets to play a part of what Jesus is up to. And you want to know something cool? So can you. What you do is significant this week. Have you ever had that prayer where you look to God and go, God, what are you doing about fill in the blank? Maybe that's not, maybe you even have a little anger when you're asking that question. What are you doing about my broken family? I've always wondered if God's in heaven going like this. Looks like I made you pretty passionate about it. (laughs) What is God doing in you that he plans to distribute to the people around you? You seriously have to consider it if you plan on being used this week. What's he doing in you? Is it conviction that you've counted yourself out? Maybe for you, I gotta be honest with you, this message is revelation to me in so many ways, but a weird way, here's a weird way that it's revealed in me, is sometimes I believe that I am enough. Maybe some of you are in this crowd that go, yep, I can do it on my own. And I've come to believe that. So maybe for you, the conviction is self-righteousness. We forget the cross and we just keep doing it on our own. I don't know what it is for you, but I believe God is inviting you. But as he makes the invitation, don't miss the invitation to intimacy. It's a theme through the worship, and I loved that it was when she just started seeing that intimacy, intimacy. And you've heard that broken down, right? Into me, see. You see into me, intimacy. So I learned this uh, (laughs) uh, the other day when I needed rest. Uh, I was, I remember my husband came to me on a Saturday and he goes, what do we need? And the question, the answer to that one was, we need to be productive on this Saturday. Have you ever had one of those productive Saturdays where you're like, let's tackle the garage, you know, and then 10 minutes in, you're like, "Never mind." Um, (laughs) you know, Uh, so this particular day, I'm like, let's have a productive Saturday so we can even be more tired going into the next week. And he goes, Gregory, he goes, but real fast, before we do that, what do you need? Husbands, just like write that down. Um, Because it was like the gift to my soul. And I was like, to be honest with you, I need rest. This is what my husband said, bless his heart. He goes, then you be productive on that rest. And I'm like, okay, I guess. guess." You know, so he like literally laid out a hammock in our backyard. I'm like, so productive. And so he, now he is literally like, like mowing the lawn. I'm like, just like, you know, so amazed. And then suddenly he starts taking out the trash. And so I'm just like sitting and I'm being productive too. And so, you know, he's taking out the first trash and because we're in Long Beach, it's like, got to get the purple one. So he goes back, grabs the purple one and he starts walking. And I'm just admiring that I have a husband that's like, you know, taking out the trash and he's just walking. It's so beautiful. And then um, it was so cute because my little son, like you just feel the little tag. And, and I'm like, well, oh, this is so cute. And of course, my husband just takes the big trash can. He's like, you know, and my little boy, they both put their little paws on it. And I'm like, I'm like weeping on the hammock, you know. And he just starts, it's so cute because he's like. And so I'm like scrambling to find my phone. I'm like filming. Okay. And then I actually said this. I went, I got it. I got the picture. <laughs> they just kept going though, so. I want you to feel all the feels. So the first 20 steps was like, aw, you know? I'm gonna let you in on what I felt for the next 20 steps. Do you feel it? 
it's fine. It's kind of that like, <laughs> like it was cute. Now it's just unproductive, you know? Like, I mean, that was cute, but like go, you know, tell them to play at the blocks. Um, the very next day, this is where it gets interesting. I'm sitting in the front of an um, auditorium, and I'm going to speak at a Christian college. And as they're introducing me, I just ask the Lord, like kind of toss it up this random prayer, like, God, I want like a, give me like a new metaphor. I don't have, I looked at my notes, and there wasn't like a metaphor. I'm like, give me a metaphor. And <clears throat> all he made me remember was the day before. I'm like, productivity. And he's like, and then I remembered taking out the trash. And I'm like, taking out the trash. What does that have to do with the audience? Sin, trash, sins. Like I get to take out their trash. Like so, so. <laughs> they introduced me. I walk on stage, and I was like a preacher that day. I'm like, I see that sin. Let's take it out, you know. And so I am like, I am like crazy person. Like made this massive metaphor of like sin, trash. I'm like, let's take it out. Like, like put it in the bucket. Who's in? Like I was crazy. And then I got in my car and I drove home. It was actually I was in San Diego. And I was driving home to Long Beach, and I was like, I feel like I missed it. Like maybe, and I remember praying like, I really felt like you told me, like you put on my heart like this trash thing. And then I remembered as I'm thinking and praying, like I just, you know, like, I don't know if sin trash was it. Like, <laughs> and he reminded me that in the, in the metaphor, I was the little boy. And I'm like, like I'm my son. I'm like, so I make you unproductive. Like, this is my full process. I'm like, that's kind of mean. Um, and then it clicked. And I hope it clicks for you. That in the midst of what God's going to do this week through you, he cares far more about his intimacy with you than your productivity for him. So it's so funny. I stand on the stage and I'm an activator. Like, I want to go do but let me tell you the first step is to be with him. How is your personal intimacy with the Lord? Remember, I don't ask for the sake of condemnation. I ask for invitation. There's more for you. And remember, what you need is just more of him. And when you have more of him, him, you'll naturally do because you'll see that he satisfies your needs so you won't have to walk around and have them filled all the time. He cares far more about your intimacy than your productivity. Oh, but point two of that illustration, he also is metaphorically pulling down the handlebars of what he's up to and saying, Will you join me this week? I got some good plans. And I'll give you precisely how to get there. See, my little boy could not take out the trash on his own. Bless his heart, what a mess if he tried. And by the way, some of you have experienced the mess of trying by yourself. God is doing something. He's doing it in your family. He's doing it in your household. And he wants to do it at your workplace. The question is, Will you surrender your agenda for the sake of his? It might need to start with your awareness of, oh, I can't be everything to everyone all the time. I'm not enough. Jesus, help me to actively trust that you are. How do you actively trust? That's a great phrase until you start to say, what does that mean? 
Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14. Call upon him. Come and pray to him. He'll listen to you. If you seek him, you'll find him. You're not enough. And that's enough to be used this week by the God who is enough. Will you trust him? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.